Hey everybody, it's Chris. If you're a sports fan like me, or you're just a fan of a great story, you gotta check out Press Box Access, a sports history podcast hosted by Todd Jones. Todd sits down with fellow sports writers who experienced firsthand some of the biggest sports moments of the past 50 years, and they share some of the stories behind the stories, some of which they've only told to each other. What I personally love are the wild stories that you might not hear so much about on SportsCenter over the years. Like when Indiana-based sports journalist Bob Kravitz recounts the time Bobby Knight showed up naked to an office meeting with him and then banned him from the Hoosiers' locker room for the next three years because Bob wrote a story he didn't like. Or when Alexander Wolfe tells a story about going out on the town in Chicago with Dennis Rodman and Carmen Electra in the middle of a Bulls playoff series. Or when Dan Wetzel talks about what it was like to be in the media room when Temple basketball coach John Chaney stormed into UMass coach John Calipari's press conference after a game and threatened to kill him. These wild and fun stories, paired with stories about real sports greatness, you know, like the 1970s Steelers being the greatest NFL dynasty ever, or the legendary rivalry between Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, and even the impact of protests for social justice issues in sports, make Pressbox Access a show you should check out. Pressbox Access is part of the Evergreen Podcast family, and it's available all the places you get your pods, and you can also find Pressbox Access on YouTube. Go check it out. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. This week, we tackle the oldest one-hit wonder we've discussed so far, Bruce Channel's Hey Baby. When our guest, Obi Fernandez of Westbound Train, heard this song in Dirty Dancing, it unlocked the love of 50s and 60s rock, R&B, and soul music. We dive into how this music defined a generation, how this song influenced the Beatles, and discuss Obi's comic book music project, The Inevitables. One hit is all you need to make the money guaranteed, and you can live off royalties forever. And it makes me wonder is it just a wonder or is it one hit thunder? All right, so Obi, uh, you chose "Hey Baby" by uh, Bruce Channel, and yes. I had when when I first heard that you picked this song, I was like, "What the fuck is this song?" And then I asked Matt, and he said, "You know this song." And I, and Absolutely. I like, oh, okay, yeah, I know this song. I just Bruce Channel, which as most one-hit wonders go, maybe a lot of them go. Yeah, who's gonna know who sings that song? Uh, but I guess first question is, what made you pick this song, man? It's good that you asked that question because I feel like we can end this podcast in just like one sentence about this song, <laughs> which is if uh, Bruce Channel was Sam Cooke, he'd be a lot more famous. Here's why I picked that song. Okay. So, dude, Dirty Dancing. There's okay. that scene. You know, I remember being young and like seeing that kid, like being that kid and like watching that scene of like everybody dancing right. and just like 
you know, the song is just like super groovy and the way that I actually use it in the movie is just absolutely perfect. But it's just like one of the things that like made me fall in love with like the idea of like what live music is supposed to do, right? It's supposed to make people move and make people dance. And then especially like me falling in love with like old R&B music as well as like older Jamaican music. To me, I was like, you know what? I'm going to shout out Bruce Channel because that song has the ability to like make people move in such a way that other songs actually can't, you know what I mean? Right. You know, there's a quality to it that's like, again, just really special, old R&B, good old Bruce Channel trying to do his best to channel like, you know, Sam Cooke and Ray Charles, uh, Yeah. Ex- except he's not Ray Charles or Sam Cooke. Right. <laughs> I'm glad that you brought up the Dirty Dancing soundtrack right out the gate because I was re-listening to it fairly recently. Just, you know, you picked Bruce Channel and then I was like, well, fuck it. I'm just going to listen to all the Dirty Dancing soundtrack. And that soundtrack does something that I think is really hard to do, which is that like half of it is songs from the 50s. Uh-huh. And half of it is brand new songs written in 1987, uh-huh. but it doesn't feel like whiplash when you're listening to it. Like the songs actually weirdly blend together fairly well, which is impressive to me. Yeah, man. They're, you know, it's, it's really, it's curated really, really well. And so I'll, I'll divulge one of my secrets here. I'll just for the sake of transparency, my wife as well as myself, like we're both like kind of like musical theater nerds, you know what I mean? So soundtracks and like, you know, musical theater or like whatever the case, the, the, the ability that music has to play in, and especially like a movie like Dirty Dancing, right? You can't have that movie without that soundtrack. Right. You know what I mean? Like, Dude, that opening with Be My Baby, like just gets dude, you in the mood for the whole movie right out the gate. <laughs> you're set. You're set for life. And there's so many good songs. Yeah. I mean, like the Ronettes, you know, Solomon Burke, I think is on that soundtrack. I know Otis Redding's on that love, like, like love man's on that soundtrack. Like to me, I'm just like, Oh dude, I'll watch. I don't care what's happening in the movie. I mean, it's like by the end you're rooting for baby, but like the songs are just so good. You know, it's crazy how there are some soundtracks that in my head, at least are bigger than the movie. The first couple that come to mind are like the crow. The Crow right. soundtrack is like the shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I could barely remember the plot of the movie, but that soundtrack, whoo. Like, I think in a lot of ways, Garden story. State, like, I, Garden yeah. State's like one of my all time favorite movies, but that soundtrack is like what set the standard for soundtracks for like 10 years after the fact. I feel agreed, like that made agreed. the shins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and Coldplay, for that matter, right? Weren't they? Didn't they have a tune on that soundtrack? Yeah, they're the first track. One more I have to shout out from the, the punk rock and, and somewhat ska world is that Angus soundtrack, man. Dude. Uh, dude. You and I have talked about it on a previous episode, but best Green Day song of all time oh, on that yeah. soundtrack. Oh, yeah. <laughs> J.R. Got the Dancehall Crashers jam on there. Oh, man. <laughs> so many good jams on that. Really oh. good Weezer song. That's how I first oh. heard Ash. <laughs> oh, Ash is on that too, man. That's true. But you know, th- that's a good, yeah. Angus is a really good, is a really good shout out. Garden State is a really good shout out because it's true. I remember getting into like so many debates with people when I was in college and, and like people were like, oh, I hate the movie, but the soundtrack's so good. Yeah. And then I could never wrap my head around like, it's like, how, you can't hate that movie. Like the soundtrack like they just go hand in hand so perfectly. Like they were, they were so synchronized to me. That it I'm was just like, like a big music video. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. That love, spit, that love spit love song was like a uh, integral part of that movie. <laughs> and, uh, exactly. And oh, so, dude, I, ju- I just looked up the Angus soundtrack again because you made me nostalgic. But yeah, dude, Squeeze. Come oh, on, yeah. Smoking Popes. 
Dancehall Crashers, Mazzy Star. Oh, Mazzy Star is on that? Fade into you? Yeah, someone's yeah. O- that's almost been picked like three times for this show. Is Mazzy yeah. Star fade into you? We will that get song there is soon. Sick. That song is <laughs> sick. That song's amazing. I try. I also just tried picking something that I didn't think anybody else would go with. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> I was like, no one's going to touch Bruce Channel. Yeah. But again, if you equate that, you know, if you equate "Hey Baby" when you just when it pops on the screen and you see what's going on, you're like. Oh, this is a beautiful moment. Yeah, it's very whimsical song. We've talked about whimsical songs on here before when we talked about Dancing in the Moonlight. We did an episode about that song. Uh-huh. And I feel like this has that same sort of like, wh- how could you be in a bad mood if this song is on? You know, you know that's that's what I love about that kind of music. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's why, like, no matter as much as like, I'm a punk rock kid at heart, at the end of the day, for example, like even like, it always goes back to like old R&B and just old reggae music. Hell yeah. Like, I was like, today was like my Monday morning, you know, I was like headed to go get some stuff done. I was like, oh man, it's Monday. I need to pick me up, you know? So I put on like Freddie McGregor's Big Ship, which is like a huge reggae song. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm just like, yeah, this is, you gotta, you know, you need that vibe. You need that pick me up. It's just music has the most beautiful effect on people, you know? And I think that that's part of growing up, too. I think all of the people who've been on this show, and I know Chris has mentioned it a ton, but, like, when you grow up as, like, a punk rock kid, for a long time, that's, like, the only diet of music that you have Mm. is, like, punk rock and more punk rock. And that was me for, like, you know, most of high school and early college. But now, like, if I'm working, I'm putting on, like, a show tunes playlist or, like, Mm -hmm. 50s rock and roll. Like, I... Because I'm almost like punk rocked out at a certain point. Like I'm just like, all right, I got I got like ten years of that in my me. Let me like let me yeah. really take in the the anything goes soundtrack today instead. Like that's what I need right now. Well, it's interesting awesome. you say that because when you said to me, like, oh, you know who Bruce Channel is, I was hanging out with a few friends and I'm like, I gotta put on this song. Uh, I think we were swimming, and I put it on, and then after that song played, it just instantly started playing like a playlist of all kind of songs from this era. Uh-huh. And it was just the greatest. Yeah, Everyone was yeah. like, Oh my God. Song after song after song yeah. was like, you know, from that late fifties, early sixties yeah. era, we heard everything from like this diamond ring. We heard, uh, I only have eyes for you. Yeah. Oh man. Oh, so, yeah. so what a, what a great, you know, they still want hits like when he sings that, like, you know what I mean? Like, what, like when does that happen anymore? It doesn't happen anymore. Right. Do you think that a part of it, because we have to also like, sorry, you know, I just realized I almost started singing on your podcast. Sorry. <laughs> no, <do it>. <laughs> we <laughs> encourage that. We encourage yeah. that. I, I mean, you have to address the elephant in the room of this is from an era where you bands didn't put out albums. They put out singles and that was True. it. So like, you know, you weren't sitting there trying to write 12 to 14 songs to put on the album, hoping that one of them would be a hit. You just, spend a lot of time just writing that one song. I would push back on that a little bit. And this is where like we should, we, if I had a lifeline, I would call Alex Stern <laughs> from Big D and the Kids Table and the Inevitables because he's he's such a music nerd about this stuff too. Those guys were, they, there were so many different writers writing. They were cranking out song after song after song. I would argue that they were actually writing more songs and spent more time writing a plethora of songs than actually cutting the single touche you've called me out and you're absolutely right i think it was also kind of this weirder i think you have a lot of one hit wonders from this time though because i feel like those songwriters weren't loyal to one specific person so you could have these hit makers that are just passing songs out to like 10 different dudes so those songwriters have 10 hits from 10 different one hit wonders or something yeah man like motown was notorious for that you know what i'm saying like 
as big as the temptations are and people are like, oh, the temptations are so like, so famous. And, and, you know, they were like one of Motown's like biggest bands, blah, 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 or group singing groups. It took them forever to get a hit. They didn't want to do the song that was their hit. I remember, I remember I took a music theory class and we watched a documentary about Motown and they were interviewing the lead singer, the temptations. And he goes, and the songwriters bring us this stupid song with a lyric. That's like, you got a smile so bright. I bet you uh-huh. could have been a candle. He's uh-huh. like, who says that? And he's like, I didn't want to record that. And he's like, but they were like, you have to record it. And it was our first hit. That's epic. Hey, we we have to talk about the fact that this yes. song, Hey Baby, yes. was one of John Lennon's favorites. There you and go. then when Bruce Channel toured the UK, the Beatles were his backing band. <laughs> Get how, out of here. I did not know that. How fucking yeah. crazy is that? That's amazing. That yeah. was back when they were still just like the cover band before they were like an actual band. Yeah, that's, that's funny when that harmonica comes in and all that stuff. Like, yeah, you can totally hear that. Like, you know, that being played in between like, you know, uh, Love Me Do and I Want to Hold Your Hand somewhere. You know it's I mean? funny like, you say that, man. It's funny you say that because it is, it, well, what it said anyway on the internet is that that harmonica piece was the influence for the harmonica harmonica part in Love Me Do. <laughs> there it is. There it is. So, and, and you can I obviously even, hear that. <laughs> there it is. We are we guys. We are so smart. Yeah, <laughs> forget, for sure. Forget, forget this podcast thing. We're we're yeah. gonna do big things. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> I watched. I don't know if you guys did. Either of you guys watch any Bruce Channel live <laughs> videos? You know, I did not on purpose. Here's why. Because when I hear the tunes, right, and and maybe this is just like a little bit of like the music snobbing me a little bit. When I hear the songs, I hear him trying to channel Sam Cooke and Ray Charles so badly mm-hmm. that I'm just like, I just would rather go listen to Sam Cooke and Ray Charles. Okay. Well, <laughs> what I was going to say is like the two videos <laughs> I watched of it were yeah. one of them was one of those deals where it was like he's dressed real nice, has a skinny tie, he's sitting on a stool, has like the you know, the very 60s background behind him. And sure. he is, there's no band there. And he is just lip syncing the the exact recording, <laughs> very yeah. midnight special or whatever, you know, uh, those kind of things. And then the other video was probably 50 years later. It's him playing it at some bar or something and playing it very much more country-fied. <laughs> because... So- yeah. yeah, yeah. I found recordings. I think he like went on to kind of get a little bit more like down home. Yeah. Because if you look him up and you start looking like playlists, because I was like, I think you shot over an email kind of being like, hey, like, is there like another B-side? And I kind of went on the hunt. And then I was like, wait, there's like these like other like country teens that I feel like he's he got himself into later. And like, but I, I wasn't sure like the, the time, the era, you know what I mean? Well, he yeah, wasn't got his way into the rockabilly hall of fame. So he definitely started to vibe right. way more into that country and Western vibe. Good for Bruce channel. Yeah. it's crazy because yeah, what he started out as is more of like along the lines of a Motown thing or, or something along those lines. So yeah, he kind of went the other way. Maybe he realized, Maybe he realized there was a little bit of cultural appropriation <laughs> or something. I doubt that's the case. No, that makes sense though. A lot of like a lot of those like rockabilly dudes, you know, are like super influenced by a lot of like, you know, like the late, you know, late fifties, sixties right. thing that like was going on. You know what I mean? Right. I think one of the other things that's worth mentioning with this song is that it's definitely one of those songs where like all things considered, the verses don't really matter in this song. This song is about five words of importance which is Mm -hmm. hey baby i want to know will you be my girl 
That's mm-hmm. all you need in this song. I when I was reading the lyrics when I was writing them down for notes to send to Chris, I was like, if you gave me a dollar, I couldn't sing this verse because right. all I know this song is just the hey mm-hmm. hey baby. That's all you need, man. You hear it in like sports arenas. I you know I went to Penn State and like. Every spin Penn State game, people are singing that song in the crowd. For as big of a sports fan as I am, I didn't know that very much. Is that I guess that maybe it's a college sports thing. I haven't heard it at sports games before. Yeah, when you said that, I'm like, okay, I guess because that's the first thing you said to me is like, oh, they always sing it at sporting events, and I'm like, what? What? But I guess I guess that was a Penn State <laughs> thing, man. Maybe it was a Penn State thing. I here's the thing: the two sporting events I've heard it at is a Penn State game and a WWF wrestling match. So oh, okay. uh, my idea of sporting events that I've heard it at are probably different than the sports that you've seen live. Right. We like to look a lot of times at what else was going on at music at at that time, like sure. 1962. We kind of know what was going on, like, but when I look. At what else was popular? It's like the locomotion mm-hmm. around that time. Uh, Johnny Angel, the Monster Mash was big in 1962. The thing I love about that era, you know, like of just like, like you mentioned before, like being in the pool and like, you know, that playlist that like kind of continued to play, like everything was just like so feel good. You know what right. I mean? And even like the sad songs just had even a feel good, you know, vibe to them. Right. There was just something really special about music and there was something really just incredible about it. It just had this ability to connect on, on such a like soul level and not soul like genre soul, like specifically right. that's one of the big reasons why I picked the song too. Cause I, I still can remember just like the profound effect it had the first time I saw it. I mean, as a kid, obviously I heard it, but then when I, when I saw it coupled with, you know, the dirty dancing thing, I was like, this is cool. This is super cool. Right. Yeah. Those verses you were talking about, Matt, uh, they, uh, you know, Elvis, this was also like starting to get to the height of Elvis. You know, he had some of his biggest hits in 1962. I can't help falling in love with you, which is the best Elvis song. Oh, for sure. <laughs> and Return to Sender was that year, too. But I feel like these verses feel like kind of Elvisy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know absolutely. if you noticed that, but definitely hear the influence a little bit there, which I'm sure not that I'm some big Elvis head. But it'd probably be hard to not, you know, it's hard to deny the influence on everyone else. That's what I think is so funny, because this does this song of like the songs that I had listed when I was looking at the chart notes, like this song does have that like, okay, this is kind of like Elvis adjacent. But like to think that the song that it knocked off the top of the charts was Duke of Earl, which like is definitively not an Elvis, like an Elvis sounding song at all, like. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know any of the words of that song beyond just the fact that the whole song's a bass, like a bass vocalist just doing the Duke, Duke, Duke. Duke. <laughs> That's a jam, too. Yeah. You know, as I'm as I'm like kind of digging around, too, like if you look at stuff, other stuff that was on the charts, like Ray Charles is I Can't Stop Loving You is on the charts, yep. you know, wrote Roses Are Red, My Left, like the Bobby Vinton tune. And it's funny, man, because my in-laws are like, this is like their, you know, they love it this stuff so like whenever i'm hanging out with them they're like definitely always like listening to like 60s on six you know yeah and like i just love the deep dives that that happened on that on that station but yeah you've got elvis on the charts mary wells on the charts sam cook is on the charts chubby checker is on the charts at that Um, time one of my personal favorites and uh dion the wanderer which i Mm -hmm. 
tend to always remember as the song that became the doodle bear song in the nineties when they were selling that toy, the doodle bear. <laughs> Love it. I, I definitely grew up before I discovered punk rock. It was hanging out with my grandfather who listened to like big band music from the forties and like rockabilly music from the fifties. So there That's is, awesome. there is definitely some, these songs like hit. I know what you're talking about when you say it, like when you're like, it hits you in the soul. Like we, I, I guess the way to word it is like, we all know that all things considered, it probably wasn't a great time to be alive during the 50s. But when you listen to the 50s music, you feel like maybe it could have been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't know what it's like to live in the 50s. It was probably gnarly. But that's the thing, right? Like every decade kind of has like their gnarly, like, you know, obviously we're living through our gnarly gnarliness yeah. right now. They had they just had the greatest soundtrack, I think, to their to their lives. Like what's the soundtrack to our life right now? You That's know? a good question. And even, you know, from late fifties into the sixties, I would even argue even going into the seventies, like, I, I don't know, like the nineties had a thing, yeah. but like the two thousands, once you hit like 2000, I, I don't know. Yeah. That's a good question, man. I mean, nineties are obviously alternative in grunge and eighties are obviously synth based yeah. music, a new wave. I can't tell you what the, the 2010s or the 2020s, well, maybe the 2010s were this, but I definitely feel like early, early 2000s to me was like a lot of party music. Like it was a lot of like, you had like Kesha, 303, LMAFO, like a lot of these bands yeah. where like, I remember just going to like, the I hope you're wrong friends. about that, man. I hope you're wrong about that. I, I don't <laughs> think I am. As a kid who was like going to the bar after like court classes and stuff like that, that was like all that you heard. Like that was the dominant sound. I would like go to parties and people wanted to just put on like Kesha albums, which, hmm. you know, I got nothing with Kesha, but a lot of yeah. the contemporary sounds of Kesha were not so great. I mean, we're in a whole new decade now. We're 2020. And I, I that's a really interesting question, Obi. I, I, yeah, what when 50 years from now, when someone's t- having a one hit thunder podcast talking about, oh, do you remember 2020? That was a really shitty time, but the music, oh man, the music. Yeah, oh, but that punchline. But that punchline and the gonna... inevitables, man, that was the yeah. general music. That defined, <laughs> it defined 2020 for people. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what they're going to say. <laughs> you know, and I'm not trying, like, I'm, I'm super not trying to be like a jerk about it, but I mean, I think. Yeah, I just I don't know. Like there there was an era that like, you know, those decades just there was something that you look back on. You know, and like again, like you know, and I I probably sound like I'm like 76 years old, but like you know, even like like the 70s, like sure, there was like disco and stuff like that going on, but there's also all these like cool rock records being made and right. like in the seventies and then like the eighties. Okay. Like things started getting synthy, but you know, we still have to give props to like the yacht rock era. Oh, hell yeah, man. And then sure. Like the nineties got taken over a little bit by some weird stuff, but then like, holy crap, you know, Nirvana came and Pearl Jam came and, and, you know, Green Day blew up and right. there was just this thing that happened and, and hip hop got awesome. And hip hop got super, super awesome. And I think, I think hip hop was doing its thing. And then in the two thousands, hip hop kind of took this other turn. Like I just, so I just looked up like songs like 2000, to 2004 or you know mm-hmm. like here we go into club 50 cent yeah ignition which is a jam it's a banger i will give it to r kelly man that was a banger but like really like people want to like that's what we're going to remember you know yeah. what i mean right a big thing about this might be 
that now in the era where we have every song ever written on our phones at all times, as opposed to like 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, it wasn't until like you get into the 2000s where we're like, what is it? Where you may have been a little bit more subject to what was on the radio, what was on TV, what was on MTV. And now it's like you could have indie rock bands and and that, you know, the, the bands that are the most important to me in this era who, who I care about might not necessarily be the thing that you're going to hear when you turn on uh, Kiss FM, you know? So that might be a little bit part of why it's a little harder to define what that is. For sure. No, I think that because the radio doesn't really matter as much. You've said it before on the show, like people, the number one place for people to listen to music is YouTube right now. Which is strange. (laughs) And like, I'm looking at right now what the, what the best selling, I wanted to Google what the best selling albums were of last year. BTS is on there which is like not shocking, but also like it's not, it's definitely not the best selling record because of how much radio play it's getting. Yeah, like, I can't name a BTS song, yeah, but they, like, apparently they're the biggest band on the planet. <laughs> yeah. Then it's the Jonas brothers, which was like a okay. nostalgia for something from however many years ago. And then mm-hmm. you've got like Billie Eilish and Lizzo and Taylor Swift. So like, right. I mean, if Billie Eilish, Lizzo, and Taylor Swift is what 10, 20 years from now, people are looking back as like the music of their generation. I'm I'm okay with that. Those yeah, are good okay. records. For pop music, yeah. They're, yeah, they're, they're pretty yeah good. the Lizzo thing, she's incredible. Like she she is. I think there, there are some like major advancements there in terms of like just her message, you know what I mean? And like what, what she was doing, like, and in a weird way, like, like that big, you know, she's had a couple of big hits, but like, you know, feeling good as hell, you know, that, that whole hit. I, I even feel like that in the time that we're in right now, like did not hit the peak that it probably should have peaked. That should still be like everybody's anthem right now. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. I'm not going to lie here. I've become a factor fanatic lately. I'm a busy guy and getting to eat restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat in two minutes has been amazing. Eating better is easy with Factors delicious ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You have 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And also, there are more than 60 add ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. I've been spreading the word to everyone I know, not just here on the podcast, but in person as well. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. You get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And the math doesn't lie. Factor is less expensive than takeout. Plus, considering every meal is dietitian approved, it's also nutritious and delicious. So what are you waiting for? Get started today by heading to factormeals.com slash one hit 50 and use the code one hit 50 to get 50% off. That's code one hit 50. The words one hit and the number 50 that is at factormeals.com slash one hit 50 to get 50% off. 
You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, it's hard in a, in a weird way. We we've talked about this before too on here, like the post 9/11 era of music. Mm. Uh, we might be in like that era again. Like most people aren't feeling good as hell right now. So like you have Taylor Swift re- releasing her f- uh, folk album with uh, Justin Vernon uh, on it and, and things like that. I know, I know. I love sad music. So this might be a, a real uh, good time for for people like me who like to listen to sad music, <laughs> there might be some good shit coming out. I hope it's not all songs just about the pandemic. <laughs> Cause yeah. I feel like that's about to happen. Like everyone's going to oh, be yeah. releasing these songs. And here's something that like, I've talked to people about like in terms of like where things are at and like where things are headed, I, you know, we might, we might be headed into like kind of a, I think some sort of like music revolution where we're going to hear, we're going to hear a lot of political talk you know what I mean? I think we're going to hear a lot of like people trying to push. It kind of just has to happen, right? Like, cause like, like you said, like pop music sort of took over and people have, we need to process what's happening in the world. And I think that a lot of people are going to need a soundtrack to that, you know, thought process. Yeah. I think that that's important. I've talked about that before too, is it's important for these big artists to, to speak out because they have such an influence on people. I think that that's good if they do that. Uh, but uh, one thing I was thinking when, when you were saying that is that, okay, so maybe just maybe we love, we're talking about, you know, Bruce channel and these feel good songs from the sixties that maybe there might be a revival of that feeling of music. Once a there's a vaccine <laughs> and people can go out and like, can you imagine how crazy it's going to be when we can go to concerts, how good it's going to feel when we can play shows and go to shows and be in a group of people and and just partying. People are going to party fucking hard. Dude, I I like, I would love, I don't know how this would ever be possible, but there's this part of me that's like, man, I want to like get the news that they found a vaccine and then somehow in my ceiling balloons and confetti fall. Like, I just, like, I mean, dude, the two, the two things, it's just going to be like the vaccine and then fucking Trump being gone. Once those two things happen, the fucking biggest parties that you can possibly imagine. Just, it's going to be like that Dave Chappelle block party where he got the Fugees to reunite. Like yeah, that's oh, like yeah. the level of party we need. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that's epic style party. But you know, like as you're talking though, even, even if that doesn't happen, Right. There was there was so much crap going on that people were going through from like an adversity standpoint that right. the songs, even though that those were singles, even though those were, quote unquote, their pop songs of those time, that time, there was still so much substance in those songs. Right. And I and I wonder that, like, that's what we just sort of have to kind of go back to. Right. Like that there was even though they were like you, you heard them and you're like, oh, yeah, like you listen to that. Hey, baby chorus. And you're like, oh, that's just so simple. But like. I don't know, to write like a soul wrenching tune that's going to resonate for decades and decades with multiple and like span multiple generations. There's a complexity to that, too. You know, right. no, and I, I think there, there's a thing that I've heard someone say, I don't remember who it was that said it, but I, I stand by it is like, oh, if it's so simple, why didn't you create it? Sure. Yeah. Hey, baby, I want to know if you'll be my girl. Yeah, that seems really simple. But there was a good 50 years of music before someone got there. So Mm -hmm. like credit where credit's due, like he Mm -hmm. got there first. Yeah, for sure. And then, you know, as we're talking about it, yeah. And like, we talk about the two thousands and like whatever, but like there's obviously there's going to be like people who just transcend that, right? Like Beyonce transcends all of it. Right. For sure. You know, uh, Jay-Z is going to Drake, I think is going to, you know, when all is said and done, but like at the end of the day, 
the other night I was with my brother-in-law and we were listening to like De La Soul, you know, and Brand Nubian and A Tribe Called Quest. And like, hell yeah. there's all this hip hop. That, my favorite Arab hip hop. Like, exactly. Exactly. That where I'm like listening to like what they're saying and I'm listening to these beats and I'm listening to, you know, and us as well. We were outside like by a pool. Right. And I'm just like, dude, like this is this is epic. Like, this is incredible. You know, yeah, like there's cool stuff going on out there right now. But again, there was just a different substance. They were they were bringing up topics. And, and again, I'm not trying to be like that guy, right? Where it's just like, oh, the song has to have like, every song has to have like this, like this sort of like heavy, heavy content. No, like cause the way their presentation was never like super heavy. Sometimes it was militant, but like, I don't know. They just gave it to you in such a way that like, changed your perspective and it was just powerful i loved about that alternative hip-hop scene in the early 90s was like yeah you had you had your tribe called quest and you had your de la soul and your brand nubian who did have this very political side to their like upbeat quote-unquote hippie hip-hop music but Mm -hmm. then like in that exact same genre you had like the far side and black mm-hmm. sheep that were being mm-hmm. like the goofy cl- or even like leaders of the new school. Like they were like the goofy class clown version of that hip hop where it was just these like silly songs. But then even far side with all their silly songs has like the best heartbreak rap song of all time with passing me by. Like you mm-hmm. had such this kaleidoscope of sound just in one small subgenre of hip hop during like a three year period. Well, the socially, yeah. The socially conscious rap. And I mean, you could take it back to even the the Motown music through the socially conscious rap of the 90s to, you know, you can listen to that music just like you can watch Do the Right Thing now and be like, God damn, that movie's mm-hmm. still exactly what's still happening now. It's the same thing, like the, these themes. You know, listen to Tupac Changes. And yeah. like, I'm like, wow, like everything he's saying is exactly what's going on in 2020. And he's saying it in 1999. Like, it's crazy how these these themes and and on top of that, like the socially conscious mixed with music that makes you feel good. Which it reminds me of on a podcast I produced, we had Angelo Moore as a guest. Oh, dude, that dude has been writing socially conscious songs that make you feel good forever. And uh, that's always interesting and really cool thing when you can mesh those things like the song just the music itself makes you feel good and uplifts you absolutely but but there's that deeper message you know and that's that's been around since motown and before that you know did either of you watch the high fidelity tv series starring zoe kravitz yep so i I watched like the first few episodes there's a line that i'm going to think of probably for the rest of my life with music in there where one character gets called out for liking disco and he's like, you just seem like the type of person who wouldn't like disco. And his yeah. response was, if disco sucks so much, why did all the best rap songs come from sampling it? Yeah. Yeah. This thing that you might not like then spawned something else. And I think that apply- we're talking about the sound of what is the sound of the 2020s while we're talking about the sound of the sixties and fifties. And like, I hate it for a very long time. I hate it. SoundCloud rap. Couldn't understand it. Couldn't mm. wrap my head around it. And then someone, one of my really good friends, a past guest on the show, actually, Juan Rodriguez, who did uh, Squeeze, Tempt It. He was like, dude, you realize that all these kids who are writing these songs are writing songs because they grew up on like Blink-182 and Green Day. Like they're, they, they just love rap music, but they also loved pop punk. And they found a way to make their own pop punk by themselves and mix it with hip hop. 
And now yeah. like I listen to it and I hear it. I hear that like, oh, this is the stuff that I grew up on. It's just done differently. And it's done in a way that like this could lead to me being able to introduce, you know, dude ranch to my nephew. Yeah. <laughs> you normally not want to listen to it, but it's like, oh, no, you know, uh, nothing nowhere is a huge fan of this album. Give it a listen. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think, I think that's going to be the most memorable thing about like, you know, the 2010s and beyond, like there's something really cool about like just the younger audience where they're just way more open-minded than like, let's say when we came up. Right. Because like, I remember like being in high school and it was like, you know, Oh, like you like punk rock. Like you can't like this if you like that. You know what I mean? And it's just like, what are you talking about? So like I'm half Puerto Rican, half Dominican. So I grew up in like super Spanish household where like my weekends, I was at my grand grandma's house and my grandpa would be playing like the classic salsa and, and, and merengue and like all that stuff. And like telling me stories about all the singers and like sneaking me like sips of his beer. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I would go from that to like my older brother who was like, Oh, Hey, like you should also check out like the dead Kennedys and the beastie boys. And like at the same time was like hipping me to like Rolling Stones records at the same time where like my mom would be spinning like, disco classics and you know my favorite album of all time is marvin gaye's what's going on you oh, know? Hell yeah. and so for me i'm just like i didn't realize it at the time but like i got just like introduced to this like huge like variety of, of stuff you know what i mean and i think that like as i got older i think people tried to like sort of box everybody into like these categories which people probably have been experiencing for like forever mm-hmm. but now more so i feel like the younger younger audiences are kind of like Oh yeah, cool. Like, yeah, I can totally like uh, Drake, but at the same time, like, you know, the front bottoms and at the same time, like, you know what I mean? Some SoundCloud rapper that no one else has ever heard of. You know what I mean? Like it's, right. I feel like there's just like a, you know, the, there's a much larger palette. There, and I there's think that been... goes back to the streaming. I think it goes back to not having a radio station that you have to be loyal to. You know what I mean? Like I was loyal to a very specific radio station as a kid. Sure. And if anyone wanted to listen to anything but that radio station, I'd put on my headphones and listen to a CD that I would have heard the songs on that radio station. Absolutely. <laughs> even even music like people caring about what record label something is on or yeah. or what like that all that stuff is gone. And I think yeah. that's a good thing. Like you can for everybody that you can like something from from every type of music i think that's a good thing you've said it before uh, like we don't throw around kids right now don't throw around the word sellout the way that we did when we were kids that's retired from our lexicon that's no longer a thing that people even know what it is really you know and it it was silly to begin with in a way yeah every kid right now is trying to be a sellout in, in those terms in and of itself like yeah it doesn't exist it's like it's like what do you mean there's no sellout that's just called being smart that's called good business yeah (laughs) when westbound first signed to hellcat i remember like playing one of our first shows after like we had signed and and i remember like this kid coming after coming up to me after the show and he's like whatever man you guys you guys totally sold out you know what i mean and i was like (laughs) wait what you signed to an independent all, record label. Yeah, <laughs> we signed to like an indie label. He's like, oh, like you went and like worked with like Tim Armstrong, you know? And I was like, hang on a second, dude. First of all, like, do you see that van I'm driving here tonight? I just want to point that out to you. And second of all, like we play the most like obscure 
genre of music known to man. <laughs> like, I don't know what you're talking about, dude. You know, we did the the pick it up live stream just a couple weeks ago. And when I think about it, it's like, man, I love ska so much. But like the time that everyone knew what I was talking about when I said the word ska was probably like six to nine months. And yeah, then, like it was like such a moment where everything happened and then nothing happened. Yeah, but that's like, you know, that again goes back to like the, in, the way we're talking about like independent music, like for bands to like kind of survive and make a little bit of a living, like we had to work like 20 times harder than other bands. We had to tour differently, you know, like it's, it's cool when you sign to a label, regardless of what the label is. And, you know, I remember the first time I was like, oh yeah, we want to go over the marketing points. And I was like, oh, okay. But then like when you, you're like, like, that's where it stops. Like, it's like, oh, there's nothing to get excited about after that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, I'll just get stoked because that's the first time it was said to me. And then you you very, very quickly realize, oh, yeah, no, the best marketing point is that you just keep working as hard as you possibly can work, regardless of who's on your team, what label you're on. And you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, that that's all like super, super interesting. And I think kids these days, like they kind of have a more of an understanding of that more so than we did when we were young, they have this like innate sense of social media and how it works and how to get a message out there, you know? And that's like what I'm excited about to see musically. Like, and we talk about like songs of the times, like it's got to swing back and kids like just have such a greater understanding of how to like project a message out there. Right. It's, it's got to work. It's got to be effective. Like they're going to, they have to change the world. It has to happen. Well, now more than ever, you could change the world with a fucking MacBook. You could have yeah. a MacBook and, and a MIDI keyboard and a mic, and you could write a song that if, if you're smart about it and you know the right way to make people hear it and you write a good enough song, there's no limits really to yeah. where, you know, where there was limits uh, a while back, you had to like know somebody or know, or, or know what to do. But now it's kind of like you could put it out there and who knows what can catch on. If it's, Absolutely. If it's so uh, that's all pretty interesting stuff, but uh but as far as Bruce Channel's uh, "Hey Baby" goes, <laughs> uh, this is what happens when you like, uh, yeah, when you bring like an old song like that. Yeah, forces yeah. all of us to talk like old guys. It's awesome. <laughs> you know, one thing before we we wrap up here, and I think that I could probably answer this for all three of us already. Does this song bring the one hit thunder, or was this a one hit blunder? And the only thing I will say for the blunder category is. What the fuck else did this guy do? <laughs> like, yeah, this song, this song is great. This song is great, but like, did you guys dig into his catalog a little bit more? I did, and didn't wasn't really too impressed. I don't know. No. Now, but you yeah. know what? If you if you can make a song work for you for sixty years after yeah. you wrote it, I'm giving him the thunder for that. I'll I'll, yeah. I'll forgive the fact that he never did it again. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna give him. The, I'm gonna give him the thunder just based on the fact that he had the Beatles as his backing band. Okay, <laughs> you sold me. You sold me. He he inspired John Lennon. Yeah, you're right. I'll give him the thunder. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you know you know he's he's definitely got the thunder. Yeah, but for sure. but I do have to ask. Um, <clears throat> hey, hey, oh, me. Oh, nice. Tell us about your comic book. I was like, whoa, where are we going with this? <laughs> All right. uh, I didn't realize I was coming here to be romanced. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. No, so the comic book, uh, we're super excited about it. Um, it's called The Inevitables. It's also uh, the same name uh, of the musical project. So it's a music and art project that I'm actually really, really excited about. You know, I've been friends with Vinny from Less Than Jake for a really, really long time. 
And uh, yeah, just kind of started where I was like, Hey dude, like what's going on? Like, what are you up to? You know, he gave me like the, the normal answer. And I was like, yeah, but like, you're creative. Like, what are you doing creatively? You know, he's like, ah, and like, he had, he had, you know, worked on his book and like all that stuff. He was like, well, you know, like I've, I've got these lyrics and, you know, we were kind of got into the what's next musically for you. If there's anything musically for you, you know what I mean? Because right. Vinny, I feel like is a dude that can do anything right? Like for sure. <laughs> he could call each and every one of us tomorrow and be like, Hey guys. So I, I opened up this coffee shop, but like, check it out. Here's what's going to happen. Like, yeah, the barista doesn't actually pour your cup of coffee. It comes from the ceiling, you know, <laughs> yeah, for so sure. you're sitting, you're sitting at the table. And so all you have to do is just think about what blend of coffee you want. And like, he's and just a robot like one, brings it out for you. <laughs> he, he's just like one of those super smart, super talented, yeah. creative guys. So he started kind of telling me about this idea that he he was originally calling like the inevitabilities, you know, and how it all worked and how it all pieced together. And then we just kind of kept talking and, and, you know, one thing led to another. And then it was like, you know, I was like, well, do you have lyrics for this stuff? And like, and he's like, well, do you want to write songs? And, and I was like, yeah, dude, for sure. Let's do it. As soon as we started. And as, as soon as I got like the first set of lyrics, I was like, you know what? I started like, I still have like the phone memo on my phone of like what I thought the first chorus would be. And I was like, dude, we have to bring Alex Stern from Big D in the Kids Table because Alex is just a prolific songwriter and I love, I do love working with him. And it just spawned, you know what I mean? It felt like, I don't know, I felt like it was like maybe like November or something like that. And then like by Christmas, we were already like seven or eight songs in. While that was happening, Vinny and I were kicking ideas back and forth in terms of the story because the story did kind of come out first. And then we brought Jono on board and Jono started working on a script. And it just like, like I say in the Kickstarter video, like momentum hit and it just, it hasn't let up. It still hasn't let up, you know? Pretty fitting that it's called The Inevitables because it sounds like it was inevitably going to happen with you guys. <laughs> like, Yeah, it feels, it feels that way. And, you know, and I think that it's, it's a great, I think it's also like, we didn't mean for it to be this way, but like it, it there's a lot of like, you know, apocalyptic themes in there, you know, yeah. like end of the world things kind of happening. So it was very fitting that we would have to bring this creative idea to life in this time, you know, yeah. it's very, it's very cool when not guilting anyone who doesn't, cause it, it is a, a kind of a trying time mentally for, you know, for a lot of us or whatever, but, but people that are making art and do, doing artistic things and doing cool things uh, and using this time, for that, that's cool. That that's awesome, and and it and to have some good come out of all this shit is is awesome, you know. So, uh, yeah, props to you guys, man. That's fucking awesome. Yeah, man. No, it's great. I agree. I agree. I can gush about the project all day, not because I'm a part of it, but just it's been such a great experience. You know what I mean? And I think my favorite thing is, and one of my favorite things about working with Vinny specifically is is like there's a philosophy behind everything we do, you know? And it's always like, hey, we just, despite what's happening in the world, despite what all the noise is, you know, because there's noise, um, there's always going to be noise in your personal life. There's always going to be noise in your professional life. And obviously from like a cultural standpoint, there's always going to be noise. Mm -hmm. And it's and it's just like, hey, can we just move the needle a little bit forward, you know, right? every day? And so... Every day you get to experience really cool victories because you're focused. You're not focused on like this is it. We're gonna like land land the plane here, and it's gonna be like we discovered this island that's just like full of gold. You know what right. I mean? 
it's just it's a victory every day because we're just committed to just moving the the needle forward just a tiny tiny bit. That's a good philosophy, man. And and to accomplish yeah, to accomplish something every day and then you know, months later you look back and it's like, damn, did, did so much, <laughs> you know, but yeah. as long as you, like you said, move that needle forward a little bit, you know, all the time is uh, that's a great philosophy, a great way to go about doing things. Yeah, man. And you just gave away like our strategy, you know, which is cause <laughs> it's like, it's like, dude, yeah. Like at the end of it, because before you know it, like the, the ideas and the calendar starts to fill up on how you're going to execute those ideas. Right. You know? And when you got a great um, team of people all pulling their weight, then you know, that adds up quick. Yeah, man. And, and it's just, you know, and it's just a privilege and like, uh, you know, I'm super grateful that, yeah, like, you know, a, I get to work with Vinny. I get to work with Alex, you know, Alex Stern, I get to work with Jono, you know what I mean? Um, I'm, I, I've met so many cool people in this process. Like, you know, never, ever did I think like, if you would have said to me like, Hey, Obi in 2020, you're going to work on a comic book. And it's right. going to have like its own soundtrack. I would have been like, what? Like, what are you talking about? I'm trying to make an R&B record. You know what I mean? <laughs> Hell yeah, man. Like, <laughs> well, that's fucking but, cool. That is fucking cool. You don't, it's crazy how like, it'll be a year later and the crazy things, whether it's professionally or personally that you never would have thought like, oh, a year from now you're going to be doing this. You know, I'm sure everybody can relate to that in one way or another. And, uh. It's, it's yeah. cool that your thing's such a positive thing, you know, because it could be yeah. a negative thing too. But uh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't man. be here talking to you guys. You know oh yeah, I mean? like that's that's sick. Like I'm grateful for it, you know. Yeah, man, and Hell we're yeah. grateful for you, dude. Yeah, oh, thanks, man. It's been really nice talking to you, man. And uh, yeah, everybody should check out the Inevitables. I think by the time this launches, the Kickstarter's still going on. So yeah, I mean, the Kickstarter it always ends up being like Kickstarter.com backslash or backslash the the Inevitables. You know. Cool. So you'll be able to get to it there. Yeah. I'm excited to see where this thing lands. You know, it, it's already exceeded my expectations. So. Oh yeah, man. Stoked. This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is produced by Matt Kelly as part of the Geekscape Network and hosted by Chris Ophalios of the band's Punchline, Pack, and Another Cheetah. Underneath me, you're hearing exactly off Punchline's album, 37 Everywhere. Check out their music at punchlion.com and search for The Inevitables on Kickstarter to donate to Obi's campaign. Let us know your thoughts on the show by emailing us at onehitthunderpodcast at gmail.com and make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app. Tune in next week for another episode of One Hit Thunder. listening to the Geekscape Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast.